Impact Hustlers, the podcast on entrepreneurs and changemakers that are creating solutions to the world's biggest problems. Impact Hustlers is brought to you by Fast Forward 2030 and Real Changers. Visit fastforward.com to learn how to include the global goals into your business model and realchangers.com to find talent and careers with impact. And this is your host, Maiko Shafrat. In today's episode, I talk to Rutger van Zuydam, founder of Odyssey, a hackathon focused on solving some of the world's biggest problems using AI and blockchain. Rutger is a serial founder and faculty member at Singularity University with a focus on blockchain and cryptocurrencies. During their weekend-long hackathon, Odyssey helps 100 teams solve global problems such as creating a fossil fuel-free future, promoting financial inclusion, and finding new ways of retirement. Registrations are open, and Odyssey gives out $200,000 in cash rewards for winning teams. It's great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me, uh, Michael. You've been a founder multiple times. When did you come across blockchain the first time and saw the potential for it to solve massive global problems? Well, a good question to start with because there are multiple moments because in 2010, I uh, discovered Bitcoin and I studied it for a couple of years and played around with it in terms of what kind of things you could develop it with. So uh, try to create a point of sale system for uh, bars and restaurants that you can pay with Bitcoin, stuff like that, just to, to learn more about what it can do and how it can make a difference compared to what we already can do with banks. So I wanted to know the difference. And I think it was in 2014 and 15 that the word blockchain came more and more to the surface. Of course, there was already this, this type of wallet called blockchain.info. But talking about the possibilities of blockchain, or in other words, the mechanism of how Bitcoin works, and there are several elements in that system that make it work really well, that could potentially used, be used for other purposes than transferring value directly from one to another. And what I noticed is that it was not before 2014 and 15 that people actually started talking about the potential blockchain. So that's, that's like two parts of the story. Two chapters, so to say. Mm. Uh, and I'm really glad I, I was able to start with Bitcoin and not blockchain. <laughs> mm. And how do you make the transition to applying that to big problems such as, you know, climate change as well? I think there's been a lot of bad press, obviously, around Bitcoin as well, because it's a currency that's being mined. So obviously, there's energy being used. So how did you get into, okay, this could actually be used for good, and it doesn't have to be all that negative for the environment, it can actually be having a positive impact? Yeah, so when we look at what the real potential of blockchain is, then we enter the realm of public digital infrastructure. Mm -hmm. And if we think about the digital public space, the internet, then it is a infrastructure that is basically owned by no one. Everybody can use it. Everybody can build on top of it. And it's very, very open. Even countries that think they can close it down well, everybody knows that in these countries, you can still, if you want, use the full internet, mm -hmm. right? So 
I think this is, this is really the spirit of the internet and Bitcoin resonates greatly with that spirit. Yes, it costs a pretty good deal of energy. It's a highly debated topic where sources are not all that clear mm-hmm. on how much energy it exactly costs. But yeah, it depends on where, how you compare the usage of energy to what it can actually make a difference, right? So in the terms of Bitcoin, we're talking about a digital public infrastructure for payments that is free of banks. Basically, at this point in time, banks are owning the digital public infrastructure for payments. So it is privately owned. And I think we're seeing more and more how this leads to friction, how this leads to unwanted consequences. And we see this in a lot of other areas as well. Because if we look at the challenges of our 21st century, then a lot of these challenges cannot be solved by one organization. Mm. They cannot be solved by government. They cannot be solved by companies. They cannot be solved by NGOs. Mm. They can only be solved, this is what we believe in, through mass collaboration. And we need everyone to be enabled in this mass collaboration, right? As a individual human being or as a community, how can I contribute to the causes in a purposeful way where I can relate to what I can contribute to? Whether that is creating a fossil-free energy uh, supply for everyone, whether that is scaling Uh, wildlife protection or regeneration of rainforests or whether that is creating a totally new way of public services or basically answers to the question, how do we organize our society? So there, there is a multitude of questions that we need to solve in the digital commons through a infrastructure, a digital public infrastructure, which is absolutely neutral which means not owned by a state, Mm. not owned by a corporate entity. So that also boils down to the question is, do you want more surveillance capitalism? Do you want more surveillance state? And the, the question is easily no, but then the question becomes... What is the alternative, Mm. right? And so we are creating a new story, a new path. And a lot of people are doing that, but we are accelerating that to create this neutral digital public infrastructure. And we bring together the governmental and corporate clients, basically, that want to be part of this and understand this. And we bring together the the teams that create the actual solutions. Mm -hmm. And that's what all this is all about. Mm -hmm. And where you do that is during your hackathon, which is about a weekend long. Uh, you have a hundred teams there that try to solve all these problems. Tell us a bit more about some of the challenges that you have. I think you have some very clear challenges that you give to teams that they should be solving. What are those? Yeah. So first of all, it's important to talk a little bit about the challenges and then the possible solutions. These challenges are complex mm-hmm. and it's not the same as complicated. They are complex in a way that in the context of this challenge, there are many stakeholders and they have different interests. They have different points of view and they experience this challenge in a different way. 
And another part of it is that there are a lot of interconnected factors. And the third part of it is that no one in this group of stakeholders can own all the information because that would mean an ultimate information monopoly. Mm-hmm. And that prevents collaboration and it decreases the amount of trust. And this is also a big dilemma for the government, I think, at this moment. So a central register or a central database cannot be a solution in the context of this complex challenge. Well, a complex challenge, one of the examples is how do we handle proof of digital permission? So if I give permission in a digital way, where is that registered and how is it communicated? Right. So the Dutch government, through the Ministry of Finance and Justice and Safety, so there's two ministries actually, they have contributed one of the 20 challenges we have. And the question is, how do we handle this digital proof of permission? So the question is, how can we create something like an open protocol for digital permission where the government is not the owner of the protocol, but supports the protocol works with the protocol, contributes to the protocol, but the ownership is the protocol itself, right? So just as email is owned by no one, this protocol should be owned by no one because then everybody can work with it with the lowest possible threshold. And it also is important that there's not one single database where all the digital permissions from all people uh, to all other entities are registered because that's a privacy nightmare and nobody will use it. So only when you are sovereign over this data, then it becomes interesting in using it. And then also you tackle all kinds of other issues like privacy laws and regulations and stuff like that, how to manage that data. It's all in the protocol. And these are the kind of solutions where we see that once certain protocol is unlocked, and uh, that's actually a pre-competitive area where even competitors can collaborate because if they all use the same protocol, then you can get adoption and then they can implement it in their processes, whether that is within their company or within a governmental organization or within an NGO. Then you can get on the layer above that protocol, let's say that's the application layer and the services layer. That's where you can actually have the benefits. So each new protocol can unlock a completely new market and that also unlocks completely new new ways of collaborating. Um, So that's one example. Another example is how can you prove that the energy you would sell at the open energy market comes from your solar panel? So let's say I'm a consumer of energy, but when I have solar panels on my roof, then I can sell that energy perhaps on the open market. Right now, that is not the case, but it will be the case whether it is within three years, five years, or seven years. Mm -hmm. And then I need to be able to prove digitally that this energy I'm offering is absolutely 100% certain coming from my solar panels and not from the burning of coal or whatever. So that's, that's another type of protocol. It's like a digital certificate you add with the information about the kilowatts you are selling on that market. So that's that's part of the fossil-free future challenge. Mm -hmm. Well, there are 20 challenges, Michael. I'm not sure how much you want to hear. 
there's a lot of challenges. We won't go through <laughs> we won't go all through all of them, but maybe for you ran this hackathon before, maybe you can give an example of a company that you think has done a great job in actually achieving social impact or environmental impact that came out of one of your hackathons. Is there like one of those stories that you could share? Yes, of course. From the first hackathon that was in uh, 2017, back then people had a grasp of what the potential of blockchain could be, but really we were just, it was more playing around and exploring. Even then, there were out of 55 teams back then, there were over 20 teams that were able to continue with their solution. So out of there, one of the really promising solutions uh, was a refugee passport owned by the refugee themselves. So a sovereign, self-sovereign identity solution. And it, it really was a big inspiration for our government, but also for a lot of other identity solution providers in how you could think about when not the state owns the identity, but a person would own its own identity. And how would that increase the level of trust, safety, and collaboration, considering the context of the problem of how do we deal with refugees in Europe, right? Because that's all fragmented now, and it doesn't add really to safety or the level of trust. So that was a really nice solution. And a lot of people are working on this issue. Another solution that is has recently launched their product together with the pension provider APG is the team of NestEgg, and they have created a way to invest in solar panels that are not on your own house. So basically you can invest in any type of solar project. You can co-own a piece of a solar panel in a project somewhere on the planet. And uh, through the blockchain, you can prove that you own a piece of that. Right. So, so that's also quite an interesting solution because what if you could put pension, your pension money in there? What would be the return on investment over time from that? And could it lead to basically perhaps a basic income? Right. So that's, that's a really interesting concept that's being further explored. That's from the, that are two examples from the first hackathon. The second hackathon was also very interesting because it produced, I want to take one example there. There was a machine-to-machine -machine economy track uh, sponsored by Anexus. That's a Dutch energy grid operator. Mm. And this name, machine-to-machine -machine economy, uh, later evolved to what we now have is called Nature 2.0. And I will tell a bit more about that later. But what came out of the machine-to-machine -machine economy track was mm -hmm. a autonomous swarm robotics protocol. Say what? Yes. So what these guys have done was, was really amazing. They have studied swarms of birds and they then looked at drones. So then the question is, can drones own themselves like birds own themselves? And can they decide to join a swarm and to leave a swarm? And then based on what information would it do so? So they have retrofitted at the hackathon nine drones They gave each drone its own identity. Each drone became a node in a network and was able to make decisions on what task it would collaborate on with other drones. It could all do that autonomously, 
So that was like, holy moly, that's mm -hmm. like a new paradigm right there. Because if you can do that with drones, with what type of other machines could you do that? So then the question becomes, can we help have machines, let's say satellites, ships, mm -hmm. cars, trucks, whatever, that own themselves and work for the benefit of society? And they have recently written a paper with MIT on the protocol and they have released a software development kit where this protocol can be used by the other teams. So it's completely open source. And they've basically co-developed this with BigchainDB, mm -hmm. uh, which is basically now the Ocean Protocol. And these are the kind of solutions that take a couple of years to mature But once they gain momentum, they will really make a difference. And because when we talk about drones, when we talk about robots, then the question becomes who owns them? What are their motives? What if these motives change, mm -hmm. right? If the state owns robots, will they carry school books or will they carry guns, right? Mm -hmm. These are all these kinds of questions we need to be asking because there are a lot of ethical issues Uh, when it comes to the development of new technology and the way our societies are developing at the moment. So this is what, yeah, what, what is really exciting from the last couple of hackathons, uh, I think. Mm. Do you offer any support to teams after the hackathon? I think when I've been to events like this, obviously always the issue is continuity to actually continue with the team. How do you see that? What resources are out there for people that maybe finish the hackathon and then want to continue with working on their idea? Yeah, definitely. Our hackathon is not about an event. Our hackathon is the highlight or the pinnacle, so to say, of a innovation program. The first phase is about preparation. The second phase is the momentum, which is the hackathon, but also, let's say, the month before the hackathon when Everybody is really preparing. I mean, uh, we just had a call with one of the challenge owners of uh, Scaling Wildlife Protection, five team captains, uh, Willie Smith from the jungle of Borneo, everybody really trying to understand what angle they could take at the problem and solution. So that's also momentum building up. And then after the hackathon, we are incubating the ecosystems to decide How could we take a working prototype from the hackathon after 48 hours of building together? How can we take it towards, let's say, the first 100 users in a real-life situation? It could be the first 10 users or first 1,000 users, but a group of users that use it in real life. Then you can ask, how does the prototype need to be further advanced towards this minimal viable product? And who would you need for that? Because in the end, all the solutions that come out are not specifically meant to support one organization, but it's to support a complete ecosystem of, let's say, interconnected collaborative communities. They are entities collaborating in a certain context, which could be a jungle, but they're local community, they're NGOs, they're corporates, they're the, there's the government. There are all these stakeholders collaborating through this new piece of software, which is digital public infrastructure. So, so the months after the hackathon are focused on guiding these ecosystems 
and finding out how they can survive and how they can grow and how they can advance. And that's what the program is really focused about and then are focused on. And also within these three months after the hackathon, we will also find out what we can do after, let's say, the summer to further advance the, the ecosystem even more. Because in the end, it's all about adoption and seeing the great ideas coming into reality, because that's where what it's all about, right? It's to make an actual impact. Mm -hmm. That's great to hear. My last question to you would be, over the next 10 years, what's the sort of world you're trying to create with Odyssey and What sort of world you hope the mm -hmm. startups that go through your program will actually create using blockchain and AI? Very good question to end with. 10 years is a lot. <laughs> There's a couple of things. I hope that by finding completely new ways of mass collaboration, we can build new types of trust in our society. <laughs> Because if you collaborate with each other, even if you don't know each other, trust can be a result of that. <laughs> Because you can benefit from collaboration. And you can unlock potential through collaboration. When people collaborate, they can accomplish so much more than they can even dream of. And I also hope that we find a more human side to how we use technology and that this human part of it is firmly grounded in a biospherical awareness, right? That we occupy... <laughs> this planet and that we occupy it together, not just with together as in with humans, but with a lot of other species and that there uh, we can find a new equilibrium. And it's not up to us. It's not that we want to accomplish that, but we want to contribute to that. And I hope when we look back in 10 years that we can say that we have contributed to that and that we enabled a lot of people to contribute to that as well. And so when we look back in 10 years, I hope we have enabled a lot of people, thousands of people to contribute, to do meaningful stuff, work, and have a lot of fun doing that. Thank you very much for sharing the story. It's amazing to hear what you've already achieved and the teams that came out of your program. And thank you very much for joining us today. I wish you all the best for the next 10 years, at least. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, Michael. And thank you for having me. Thank you. This was Impact Hustlers. Impact Hustlers is brought to you by Fast Forward 2030 and Real Changers. Visit fastforward.com to learn how to include the global goals into your business model and realchangers.com to find talent and careers with impact. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, share the episode, leave us a review and consider becoming a supporter on buymeacoffee.com slash impacthustlers. This means a lot to me. Thank you very much for tuning in and see you next time. Bye.